Adrienne Berg is fighting a war on aging. She's fighting a war against ageism, trying to get people who have gray hair to believe that gray is not old. Gray is just a color, but they have a full long life to live with contribution, with activity, with careers, you name it, you can keep doing it. But in order to do it, you need to have your finances in order. Now, she's been guiding people for many years. She has a brand new book, and we're going to find out what you need to do and how you need to do it in order to have the money to support your last gusto-filled years. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator podcast. Don't forget at the end to rate and review us so that more people can get this great information. I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. And I'm thrilled to welcome back today Adrienne Berg, a captivating writer and speaker and a pioneer in the field of longevity and aging. As an attorney, Adrienne helped found the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, and her company, Generation Bold, helps companies market to the boomer and mature generations. Additionally, she's just become the director of Metabesity 2020, an initiative that breaks down the silos between medical, researchers, financial, and the public when it comes to aging. She's the author of one of Bottom Line's most popular blogs, Aging for Beginners, which is part of our You Empowered blog series at bottomlineinc.com. And she has a newly published book, The Retirement Income Explosion, which has just been published and is available on Kindle and at Amazon. And you can hear Adrienne hosting her own syndicated radio show, Generation Bold. The Fountain of Truth is broadcast on the Business Talk Radio Network at generationboldradio.com. And if that wasn't enough about Adrienne, you can learn more about her and her books and her speeches and her radio show at adrienberg.com. Adrienne, I think you win the most credentialed expert with the most links to go visit and learn about. Guess that I've well, had because I've been around the long. <laughs> I've had enough time to do whatever I want to do. And that's what I hope everybody else will have. You are the poster child for your own work for Generation Bold in terms of leading a full, active, never stopping, always growing kind of life, even with this latest new directorship that you've accepted. Yeah, you know, this has been a culmination of, of, of a dream that I didn't know other people had. But I sure did. And that is to always be able to contribute, not just to have leisure activities, which is wonderful in retirement, but retirement means to withdraw. And withdraw is not what I wanted to do. So to be able to have this um, wonderful opportunity of being a director of Metabesity 2020, which used to be only really for scientists, pharmaceuticals, researchers, medical, and bring this issue of aging and successful aging to many, many other types of professions in the public is really lighting me up. It's really making a difference in how I see my own future. Well, and it fits perfectly with your whole Generation Bolt. It's just the being able to help people live vibrant, enjoy, not, as you said, don't pull back in the last third of your life, but actually explode in it in some ways. and you know, go on adventures, et cetera, expand your horizon, continue to contribute. Um, Do you want to talk about that for one second? Just tell people what Generation Bold is? Well, I'll tell you. Generation Bold, first of all, is a concept. As we get old, we get bold, and we don't become one of the ins, invisible, incompetent. You know, we uh, think that getting older is a negative, and many governments do. I work with the United Nations, too, and there are governments that just see the aging of their population as being a financial burden, and many of us see that too. 
mentioned that I was a lawyer many years ago. Don't hold that against me. But I can't tell you how many times I would ask people to prepare for their aging, and they would say, just shoot me. Well, the fact is that no one's going to shoot you. It's a wonderful, wonderful stage in life. And you can go out there and be bold. And I will just finish this by, by giving you my, my feelings about this. Number one, at the end of every radio show, Generation Bold Radio, I say, get out there, kids, and make it happen. Because we can be proactive. Unfortunately, we are ageist. We're ageist against ourselves. Our culture is ageist, and so are many others. I am not pointing the finger to the U.S. because we're in a big club of a huge number of ageist cultures. And uh, they don't expect anything from us. The worst is that the world does not expect anything from us. If we can take care of ourselves and we can love our leisure, that's enough. Maybe take care of a grandkid every once in a while, but that's it. And I always say the world is not expecting anything of you. Make them sorry. Well, and don't you think, I mean, some of it is... I'm going to digress for a second because we're actually going to talk about your new book and finances. But don't you think some of it starts with people expecting something of themselves also, that in some ways we are putting ourselves out to pasture? Oh, sure. I mean, we have two things going on. Uh, first of all, we have ageism against ourselves. It is, you know, the only thing that every single person on this planet is doing right now, regardless of anything else about them, is aging. We have so much in common when it comes to that, and yet, we separate ourselves. We even separate ourselves in communities where you're not even allowed to live there unless you're a certain age. We would never do that. We say things about our own selves. You look good for your age. What's the implication? The implication is you're not supposed to look good because you're older. Right. So you're the exception that proves the rule. So we're very self-ageist. Um, if we, if we uh, forget something, will say, oh, we had a senior moment. Well, the fact is that younger people forget also. And we make very good decisions. We make better decisions than younger people do because our brains have more experience and more neuro uh, paths. Mm-hmm. But when we make a good decision, we don't say, oh, we're having a senior moment. It's only when we forget something that we say we're having a senior moment. So sure, I mean, we're, we're programmed to be ageist. But this is, this is changing. People are very surprised at how good they feel how long they're going to live, how good they look as they age, and they want some recognition of that from our culture. Yeah, well, but I think, again, that starts with, for instead of looking for the recognition like the kids do on social media, like, just go do it. Mm-hmm. Go enjoy it, right? Um, which starts with, let's go, all right, so let's talk about your book, your great book, The Retirement Income Explosion, because all of this, being able to go on adventures, being able to pursue the second career or the avocation that you love starts with financial. Um, you have to have a good financial base, and that's what, you know, kind of at the core of your book. Um, so talk about, the, one of the basic premises of it is what you call play money, which focuses on income. So talk about that for a sec. Right. Uh, when we feel that somebody is a financial success, we might say, oh, they're a millionaire. And if they're even more of a you know, they're a multimillionaire. I'm trying to make people realize that that's meaningless, that those bottom lines of how much you have at the end of the day doesn't mean much. What's really important is how much income you have that you can rely on, how much you need to live the life you love. And if the amount you need is less than the amount you get, you're fine, no matter what category you are in wealth. 
So I've come up with this way of explaining it called play money, P-L-A-Y. And P stands for passive income. That means income you do not have to work for. That doesn't mean you're not working. You might work and enjoy even more. But passive income is income that comes to you like the, the goose that, gold, that laid the golden egg. And that's not, you're not talking about Social Security in that case. You're talking about other sources of income. And no, Social Security is one of them as well. Okay. Uh, Social Security is an annuity. It's something that you know is going to be there. We can talk about whether it will be or not, but let us, for the, for the purposes of passive income, uh, it includes Social Security, your pension. Is, uh, if you've sold a business and you know for sure that the dollars to pay you for that business every single year is coming in if you sold something on an installment, if you've got a mortgage uh, that you've given to other people and it's secure, this is all passive income. This is income for which you do not work. Uh, and the L is that it's lifelong. It's money that will never run out. You will always receive it. And the A is that it's always in your control, meaning that even if you do have some kind of physical or, or cognitive decline, you've got the right legal documents there to make sure that that money is always in your control and spent the way you want. And why? The why in play money is yielding enough that this passive lifelong always in control income is the amount that you really need to live the life you love. Everybody needs a different amount. And the fact is, it isn't true that the more you have, the better you live. It's if you have what you need, the better you live. Well, and also in this then, if I'm sitting on a big piece of real estate, you know, if I've got a big house and a whole lot of property that I might have a net worth of a whole lot of money, but if that's not able to generate me income, that's not doing me any good. More than that, if you have a big 401k or a big IRA, and the next day the market crashes, it's not doing you any good. Um, this is, you know, as you said, I had a lot of books out, not my first rodeo. <laughs> so in 2008, I already had books out, and I was in La Paz, Mexico, uh, as a consultant to a company that was building some housing for older adults, and there I met the expats of La Paz. Now, all those people had a ton of money, a ton of money. They were about to retire in California when the market crashed. So they were very resourceful people. They instead uh, retired in La Paz. But most people just had to postpone their retirement. So this business of what my net worth is, is a very iffy kind of thing. And I want people to stop thinking about being a millionaire and start thinking about uh, what their bottom line income is that they can count on without having to work. And that's the income explosion that we're talking about here. And that actually in a lot of ways makes it simpler because it's not some grandiose number. It's literally on your monthly budget. And budgeting is something that you're a huge proponent of, which seems incredibly obvious, but you make a really big deal of it in the book. Right. Well, I do two things there. Uh, number one, I help you think about how much you spend in terms of a percentage of your money, not how much the dollars are. People don't like to make budgets. I don't like to make budgets. Um, but I do like to think about, am I spending over 50% on my housing? It's different than sitting down and, you know, laboriously um, and nervously putting down every dollar. If I'm overspending on some things that I really don't like anymore, that's just not feeding me back, maybe my house is obsolete in my life as it is today, and it's eating up a huge percentage of my budget. 
maybe even the way I entertain and the way I enjoy my experiences are different. I'd rather do things that have to do with travel than make big parties. This is different in everybody's life. But the fact is that we do. We do grow up, and we need different things, and we want to spend it on different things. And we're shocked to see how much of our budget goes to things we really don't want. When we see that as a percentage, it's much easier to make a real-life change. And then we have the facts and figures of how you can figure out what your enough number is, the yielding enough number is, and see whether or not your passive income will make it or not. Today, five years from now, 10 years from now, so you can really plan to be sure that your income is uh, exceeds your need. Now, how much of you're golden. it? You're golden for the rest of your life. How much of it also, when you start, you know, be, whether you do it as a percentage and you look at your spending as a pie chart, or you make a list of the categories of things that you spend your money on, how much of it is also taking just a really hard look at where you're spending your money now and where you're going to want to? Again, do you need to have as big a clothing budget in your future when you may or may not be going out as much or you don't need work clothes as much? And frankly, your old black pumps may work just fine and you don't need a new pair every six months. Uh, but well, you, know, you know, being you honest know about what your what your hard look percentage dollars, whatever it is, it's the categories in some ways. No. Well, there's a little difference right. um, because this is a book for people who are a little bit older, five to ten years before retirement, in retirement already, or even people who are retired for several years. When you are younger, you take a look to see what do I need, but when you get older, you really want to say what do I want. Uh, there are some really brilliant financial advisors. They have things called the latte. Don't have a latte, they say. If a latte costs 4 or $5, and put the money away. Well, let me tell you something. When you're 60 or older and you want a latte, you should have a latte. Yes, when you're younger, you have plenty of years to have a latte. But at my age, I want to take a look at what I want to spend my money on, mm -hmm. not what everybody told me I should. When I was younger, there were things I had to do. I have children, they have to go to school. Uh, I had to have a certain kind of a house, so they had a bedroom. But as I get older, I don't have to spend on what I need. And so if I do need some of those things that you, you ticked off or mentioned, like clothing, it's not my thing, but some people love clothes. Right. That's what they should be spending their money on. Not the heat, not the heating bill. For a house that is too big and isn't serving them to begin with. So a huge part of, of the book is called Spend Less. It's have more, but spend less. I don't mean spend less by depriving yourself. I mean spend less on the things you don't want in the first place. Right, which is taking that hard look at what do you really want or not right. want or need or not want. Right. Now, how does the budgeting process change? I mean, the in terms of the life stage. So you're talking to people that are closer to retirement. When they're doing this budgeting, how do they think about it? So, you know, I'll call it now I'm 45. I wish I were, I'm not anymore. But, you know, are they 45 and thinking about their budgeting for when they're 70? Or they, because you, you can't just show up at 70 and say, I'm ready with my budget because the vast majority of people don't have any savings at that point in time. Yeah, you actually can. Uh, first of all, I, I want everybody to know that budget is a very, very small part of this book. The big part of this book is knowing the life you want to live. 
and loving that life. And then, and then, taking the money that you have and spending it on making that life happen. People do just the opposite. They say, here's how much money I have, whether they're 45 and they make projections, or they're 70 and they make projections. And they limit their life by the amount of money they have. They start to determine and decide how they're going to live their life based on how much money. It should be the other way. You know what you want in your life at any age. Then you live into it. And you will see that you will be able to figure out ways to use the money you have to live that life. I have done it. I've done it when I was down and out. And I've done it when I was a millionaire on paper. And I never lived a different life depending on how much money I had. And it was the best thing I did. And I realized, I, I realized from your question that very few people have that attitude. And if I can infect people with that attitude, they will do more in life and have, a, and have an easier life. So the question that, that you have is, how do you decide how much you need or how much money you want to save? First, have a mission in life. First, has something you really want to accomplish. And I guarantee you, you'll find the money to do it. Uh, in, in the book, we show you some of those ways. Ways like having a smaller home or a different home or living in a different venue, getting rid of your debt, taking care of your health care, taking a look not at the consumer price index, but the ECPI, the Elder Consumer Price Index, which is also published and nobody knows about it. Right. We also take a look at things like your own your own inflation rate, not the inflation rate around you. But what are you spending on? Some people spend on things that hardly change in price. They have a very low inflation rate. Other people spend on things that keep going up in price. They have a higher inflation rate. I don't care what the inflation rate is. I care what yours is. The, I have a name for that called the functional inflation rate. And we show you exactly how to do that so that you're living the money life you love, not somebody else's money life. The I love that. It's so funny because you're like, spend the money. And I'm sitting there going, wait, but I have to be careful about it. <laughs> so I love that. I love that you're kicking my butt on that. Um, there's an aspect of this also, I think, that people are so used to saving, saving, saving. And you talk about thinking about the decumulation of your savings that there's the income part, but there's also the letting yourself start to spend down the capital part of it. Yeah, I'll I'll give you some hints and tips. Uh, This is what what happens typically. People have IRAs and 401ks if they're lucky, as you say, if they have saved. And two things happen. They come to an age where they stop working, which we now call retirement, and they need to take some of that money out to live on. And if they don't, the second thing happens. The government requires that they distribute some of that money to themselves every year and pay a tax. Now, what has happened, and this is really a very important part of the book, and what we've done with this book, there's a new law. The law passed only last month, and it's called SECURE. And what it has done, it's recognized that we are living longer, and it's recognized that we are working longer, and it's a tax law. And what it has allowed us to do is put money into our IRAs longer for more years, for any amount of years that we're working. Before that, we had to stop, even if we were working. We couldn't make a contribution if we were 70 years old or more. Also, instead of forcing us to take the money out early, 
allows us to continue to keep it in, at least until age 72. So, and all this is going to be even greater recognition with regard to uh, people who are older that want to start their own businesses. Also under that law, it's made it much easier to start a small IRA or 401k in many different ways. This is a revolutionary uh, retirement and tax law. But it recognizes that at some time in life, we have to start taking our money out. So what did we do? If you have this book, which is called The Retirement Income Explosion, you also have a website. And that website has the new law, everything, and it changes how to use what's in the new law. Uh, it has many, many ways to, uh, to save. It even shows you how to have medical tourism and save money on dentistry, which is a blog that we recently... Uh, as you know, Sarah put into uh, Aging for Beginners. I think it just it posted about today. 20, 30 different yeah. things that you could really do. But the number one, number one is, can you save money by moving? And in the book, it really does give you a pretty good overview of different ways and places that you can move where you can save a lot of money. Yeah, actually, I want to talk in a little bit. I know, I, I know, I've been talking about budgeting, but I think just uh, and the the savings aspect of things. We're going to talk about healthcare. We're going to talk about where you live. Um, but I think you know, until uh, unless they've got the money management part of it, right? And to me, that's like it's like the foundation. Although I guess you start with the dream. <laughs> um, I do. You know, have I do have the dream, and then and then it all works out. Which I love that. Um, you know, you know, there are thousands. Right of money books out there. Yes. And there are thousands of advisors and there are uh, we are the most educated and the smartest uh, and the wealthiest generation baby boomers. And yet you're right, we don't save. So this business of financial management it has a disconnect. It's not it's not resonating with us. And I think it's because we don't know what we're saving for. And we don't know what we what we want to create and if we knew that first I, I like to say the bigger the why the easier the how that money will get saved so I do believe that we need to to have our, our motivation coming from something else than just the bottom line that's there a great are people point who get lit up by money yeah that's okay that's a hobby but most people don't that is not what motivates them nor does it cause create true happiness at all, as we all know. So let me ask you a couple other specific financial questions because you had some great tips in the book. Um, you're a big fan of annuities, that they get a bad rap, but you actually like them as a strategy to ensure income. Yeah, I think that one of the worst things that has happened to, uh, to us is indoctrination against annuities. Uh, I don't sell annuities. I have sold annuities. I know people who are in the business that are knocking their brains out to try to explain annuities. And then one word from a company that might benefit by bashing annuities, and it, it destroys everything. So I'll say this. Uh, my my father-in-law, the easiest thing for me to tell you is something that's not in the book. My father-in-law was a dry cleaner, and he really didn't make a lot of money. In fact, everything used to come in in dollar bills. He used to, my husband tells me that he would count the dollar bills at the end of each day. And he came over to me. He lived to 94. He came over to me when he was about 87, and he said, I want to thank you. Why? I had told him to buy an annuity years ago. I didn't even remember I told him. And he bought it. I don't even know from whom. 
And he said, I could never have retired without that annuity. Because mm. that annuity was play money. It was guaranteed. It was lifelong income. And it yielded enough for him. Annuities are a product. Uh, insurance companies sell them and annuity companies sell them and your financial advisor sells them. And there are many kinds of annuities, but there's one particular one, uh, which is in the book. It, it describes them all fixed index annuities where you actually make decent money. In fact, you make, over the long run, more money than if you were in mutual funds. And it's tax-free while it accumulates, and it can be in an IRA or out. Once you decide to retire and you want that passive income, your advisor will tell you exactly how much money, to the penny, you can rely on for the rest of your life. And anybody who says, that is not a good idea for people does not believe in our longevity. You're taking the risk of living longer and you're transferring it to an insurance company. So if you, even if you're brilliant at investing and taking money out of an IRA, it can end up with a zero and then what? But an annuity can never, you can never outlive an annuity. It's like a pension that you create yourself. Now, it's more complex than that. And that's the, the issue. Plus, I'll tell you, Sarah, many, many things are called annuities that are not what I'm talking about. To me, that's my, my pet peeve. There are many things that are called annuities that are not annuities. And they confuse the public, and even financial people are confused by it. So you have to work with somebody who, who swims in that water and really does know one annuity from another. So this is an answer, the look at the commercial on TV. This really is talk to your insurance broker or your financial planner. Yeah, and that's also why we had that website. So if you go to uh, the Retirement Income Explosion and you read it, at the end of every chapter, it tells you what's on the website. And one of the things on the website is the different rating services that rate the security of your annuity and the security of the company among other things, so that you can feel secure when you make a purchase of an annuity. Is there a time, an age, when people should think about buying their annuities? You know, I am very, very surprised. The answer to that is yes, and I was very surprised. Uh, in the book, there's two studies uh, that, that ask that, scientific studies. And uh, the answer is fairly obvious, but it was actually much younger than I thought. See, you get a better deal the more you wait. But right. it seems, it seems that in your mid-60s is really the best time, according to these studies. And it's funny why it's the best time, even a little earlier. Because if you retire, let's say, at 65, you can use your annuity money. If you use your annuity money instead of your, four, your 401Ks or your IRAs, and you let that sit there, for as long as the government allows you. At the end of the day, your money lasts much, much longer because the annuity allowed you more years during which you did not have to use your nest egg. Right. And that, that, that in the simplest sense, is what the scientists uh, and the bean counters have found. So it, it's interesting, and those studies are right in the book. All right, good to know. Let's talk about healthcare because all the retirement savings in the world can get wiped off, wiped out after one bad diagnosis or one bad disease. 
So how should people budget for their health care costs? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, you're right. Medical bankruptcies are the fastest growing type of bankruptcy. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, and I do a lot of things. First of all, I do talk about medical tourism. I have more of that in the, uh, on the website, but there's things like your teeth, uh, even hearing aids, even certain glasses that are not covered by Medicare. Uh, so you want to be resourceful about those very important things. And let's do you, you mentioned med, let's stick with medical tourism for a second because you mentioned it in passing. I'm not sure everyone knows what that is. Oh, so well, let's define medical tourism, and you know, there's pros and cons to it. There's yeah. Well, right. for me, uh, it, it, the con is that people are not educated and they don't sit down and think about it, or they they're frightened, or they have prejudices about it. But the fact is that there, many countries have very very good health care, and they specialize in things like dentistry. Uh, Costa Rica and Mexico, for example, specialize in dentistry. It's their business. It's an industry. And they expect people from all over the world to come there just for dentistry. And as you know, in our blog, uh, Aging for Beginners, there's even an experience that my family had yes. doing that. But that's not the only kind. There are uh, things here in this country that are covered. And then there are some things that aren't. Uh, hip replacements, let's say, are covered under certain circumstances, but not all. And then there are countries that really welcome you. They are very frequently, the doctors and the hospitals are owned and managed by American uh, physicians. But because of the cost of living in those areas, it's just much cheaper. So and I mean a lot. So these medical these medical tourism clinics, it's not like I'm flying to Mexico to get the local Mexican dentist helping me. These are set up, as you're saying, in less expensive areas so that the costs or the you know burden of insurance and things like that are not as heavy, and then they can deliver a high-quality product at a much lower price. Right, and sometimes a, be- a better product. Uh, I, you know, as I mentioned with the Metabesity Directorship, been working a lot with the United Nations, and the United Nations has a lot of statistics on what it costs different countries uh, to extend uh, a healthy year of your life. Well, the fact is that the United States spends the most money per person for the least healthy life extension. And that's not because we're bad or we have bad diet, we have the best doctors. It's just because everything is so expensive around us. So every once in a while on a personal level for certain things, you can save money on your medical health. But the main thing that, and I, and I talk about it a lot in the book, that's going to save your health care costs is you. Yes. Is doing the, the exercises, eating the right food to the extent that you can without making your life miserable. Oh, but if we could get people to do that, all of our health care cost problems would be solved. It, it know, and, I, and that's not just intuitively, the greatest scientists. Oh, yes. I just, yeah, I just came from Albert Einstein uh, uh, Institute on Aging, right. the leading place. And Dr. Nir Barzilli said the same thing to me that everybody has said. We can save more money and be healthier longer 
by eating right, having good nutrition, exercising, having nice relationships with people. It's true. Reducing our stress and all the pills in the well, world. And then, not only that, people don't have to complain about their cost of health care, the fights with their doctor, being able to get an appointment, all those things about the system that drive them crazy. Right. If they exercise and eat better, they don't have to worry about that stuff. True, but you know, it's the same thing about as saving money. So when I deal with that uh, in the book, in, in the book, the first part of it is have more. And it does show you how to take the money out of your IRAs correctly, how to save your taxes, how to uh, take a look at, um, at annuities and other kinds of products that will help you have passive income. But in the save section, the spend list section, on health care, I do ask people to realize how long they're going to live healthfully and to motivate themselves, not by the negative, you know, I'm, I'm too fat, or I should do this, or I'll get sick. How about the good part? Yeah. I'll look great. I'll feel great. I'll be hot. You know, these are the well, you can go on exciting trips. You can spend more time yeah. with your grandchildren. You can see your grandchildren walk up the aisle. Like, yeah. That all, exactly. Now, then having said that, there's still things that, that you can do. I mean, annuities have riders that give you chronic care in the event that you do become ill. Uh, there are insurance policies. I'm not a big fan of long-term care policies, but there are certain kinds I mentioned in the book um, that are called single premiums, and most people don't know about it, and they can uh, cover long-term care, but if they don't need it, if they stay healthy, they can also withdraw some of the money in their tax-free and live on it, so that you're not committing your dollars just to health care. Uh, if you're covering it, and you're making yourself secure, but these are specialized things that are called longevity, insurance but people don't know about it and uh, because the most of the most of the advertising that you'll see about retirement is putting money into your IRAs and putting money into your 401ks it's all good but they are mutual funds which I like too but they're not protective because with the market they go up and down everything in, in my book has to do with things that have guarantees behind them. they're less sexy you're not going to make a fortune but you're going to cover certain expenses and you're going to have the guarantees that give you peace of mind. Well, and you know, when you're back to that budgeting statement, you know, that when you're planning it ahead, it might not be sexy, but if you can rely on 5% compounded returns, that makes a difference. If you're you know, fluctuating between 10% and 2%, 10 sounds great, 2 sounds horrible and it ends up averaging out to the same 5%, you're you know we're better. That that's absolutely true. Uh, in fact, uh, if things are uh, the same uh, 5%, you know, this is just math. If you got 5% every single year on something, and you got 10% one year, 0% the next year, 10%, 0%, you would think it's the same as getting 5% every year, but you actually yeah. end up more with the 5% every year than with big, big gains and big, big losses. Right. And that is, that is just statistically, that, that, that's just math. That's just arithmetic. <laughs> arithmetic. And you sleep better at night. Now we're back to the health. Let's talk about places to live. Um, you know, you talked about the people needing to make choices, right, so that you can live very well and be, you know, um, 
follow your dreams and be able to enjoy all the activities and career activities or whatever it is that you want to do but you might have to make some different choices about where you're living talk about that right so there's a couple things first of all probably if you lived much cheaper in terms of your home you wouldn't even have to budget for anything else most of us depending on where we live particularly on both coasts uh, are living in our bank and if we sold our home we would be okay so that's one part of it. There's an emotional component to that, but, but that's a big thing. Uh, the other thing is we're beginning to realize that it's too much. We have too much stuff. We get into that point in life where we feel more freedom if we don't have than if we do have. And we know that we have to keep relationships and people are moving. Our kids are moving. Our friends are moving. And so some of the ties that we've had are, are, are not not in community. I do want to talk about community in a moment, but for many, many people, the solution is what we call downscaling, okay? And I do go through all the different types of communities that are around, including the over 55 that I mentioned uh, before, including what's now called intentional communities where you take care of each other. Yeah, co-housing. Uh, you know, the kinds of things that are emerging because baby boomers are very, very creative in the way they want to live. And even living offshore, there's much more information online with regard to that. Uh, but including the, the traditional, the North Carolinas, the Floridas, all the wonderful places, including taxes, where the states really have high taxes, low taxes. So you can cut down a lot on your expenses. Although don't they have to, one year, in fact, we have a story coming out in Bottom Line Personal, I think in the next issue, about running to another state just for taxes, but you have to look at all the calculation. It's not just about the state right. income tax, that there are other hidden taxes in those areas or cost of living that might increase the cost. It may not be just a free gimme like you think. Right, there's sales tax. Uh, then there are uh, income tax, but there are many uh, states that have high income tax, but they don't tax income that comes from IRAs or 401ks. So you really have to know the difference. Uh, it, it's easy to say, oh, that's a high income tax state. But if all your money is coming from your IRAs and 401ks and they don't tax that income, well, you're really in a low income tax state for you. Right. That's what I mean by being very individual. And those are the hints and tips that people don't think about in the book because I'm always looking at the longevity aspects of things, what you call the decumulation. The stage in, line, in people's lives when they're taking their money out, not when they're putting their money in. Now, how do you and weigh? How do you weigh? Because there's all these financial aspects of it, but there's also a lot of information about the importance of being, as you said, near community, near your family, um, near yeah. whatever. Like, so that in the end, you also want you need to find the right balance between the money and all those other the climate, the culture, all the other aspects of the life that you want. Well, first of all, there's a, a book that's kind of a sad book, but it's a very important book. It's called Bowling Alone. And that book is about the disintegration of communities. Because people are moving, uh, and we think differently, and because we have used technology, which is very important in thriving as we age, but we've used it as a substitute for friendship in many ways. And so we do need to keep in community, and in fact, uh, there's a lot of, of studies, Harvard studies, saying that if you have at least six friends, you're going to live two and a half years longer, just because you have some friends. 
So you need to do this. Now, some people are okay, like uh, I am, of being all over the world and they don't have to be in one place and it doesn't matter. Most people still would like to stay home. And I know that. And I don't write a book for me. I write a book for, for everybody. So as a lawyer for many, many years, I saw how people did it. And they did certain things like they would sell their home and they would take back a life lease so that they could still stay in the house. They would give their home to their kids but take back a life estate and stay there all of their life. And these are things that very wealthy people were doing for decades, maybe maybe hundreds of years. But the average guy doesn't even know this exists. So one of the chapters is to know all these different things that you can do to still stay home. And I'm going to finish with this one when it comes to the house. Uh, you know the wonderful Jane Bryan Quinn, just a terrific financial writer. She just turned 80. And she also wrote, wrote a great book. And she's kind of thinking the way I do, too. It's now income, not, not assets. But she said something that I agree with. She hated reverse mortgages. And she's beginning to uh, like them. And she actually, you know, to promote them. A reverse mortgage lets you stay in your house. But do you know what, what the reverse mortgage is really called? It's called a reverse annuity mm. mortgage. It's really an annuity. Right. It's just another way to have guaranteed income for the rest of your life and turn your home into an income stream while you're living there. And like anything else, you have to have the right person and not be fooled by the numbers and not let anybody sell you something that you don't need. But that may be the answer. Uh, and I didn't like them either. Yeah. But that may be the answer today for those who didn't save but are living in their bank and they want to stay put and they don't want to do what I'm talking about which is move to different climates, cheaper places, etc. They want to stay there. Well, and, and this is a way to do it. Well, and a lot of people, if they've been in their house for a long time, theoretically they've built up a lot of equity in the house because the, the value right. of the house is appreciated. So right. suddenly they're sitting right. on a lot. Um, yeah, and there were, I know there were so many specific details. You and I could talk for hours, but I know your time is tight. Let me ask you one more question. Um, what role should adult children play in assisting the parents on all these financial preparations? Well, uh, there's two parts to that. If their parents are competent, they're probably not going to get in the door to get the information. <laughs> I don't mean it in like a dig in your pockets. I mean, I'm very open with my kids about financial plans and things like that because yeah. I think that they should be. I am too, but my kids don't want to pay attention. And right. the reason they don't want to pay attention is they feel that if I want to talk to them about it, it's a sign that I'm getting old. <laughs> and no, if I'm Mom. getting old, they don't like that. Right. right? So, uh, That's why you have to start really young, scaring the pants off of them and, go, and overwhelming them. Well, if you start young to, to share your information, right. it's, uh, it feels better. Yeah. But when you start to come when you're older, or they're thinking about is, oh, Mom and Dad are about to be checking out. So right. they're going to... But so the, so the thing is, there's two parts. If you're in good shape and you're competent and you're handling your money very, very well, then it would be, uh, and you're older, uh, then it's really up to you and the kids. I would suggest that, he, that the older adult take the initiative and make sure that, the, that their adult children know where everything is, who their financial advisors are if they have one, where the bank is, 
where the the mortgage papers are, the deeds, and everything. And if they are uh, the older adult children, just let your parents know that you're willing to listen and you're willing to hear what they have to say. Now, the second part is if parents begin to decline when they really can't handle their own money and they really don't have the cognitive wherewithal to make the right decisions. And then the children step into the picture. Now, if they already know a lot, it's going to be much easier. But I'm, I'm actually working on a, um, uh, a YouTube called Why Won't Mama Listen to Me? Mm. Because at that stage, older adults get very self-protective. They get paranoid. They get worried. Right. They don't want to lose their freedom. And they don't want to admit it. And I believe that with all I know, I'll probably be just like everybody else if that ever happened. So then in the book, uh, which again, I will give you the name, The Retirement Income Explosion. It sounds like it's only about income, but it isn't. Uh, I also have what, as a lawyer, you should do. One small thing, as an example, is a sibling agreement. You can have agreements, written agreements between the caregiver sibling and the non-caregiver sibling. I'll tell you something, it extends your love. It makes things so much easier for you. But once again, the average person doesn't even know this exists. Wealthy people have been doing it for years. And it's not expensive. Well, and it's so important because there's there's always one kid that ends up doing the bulk of the caregiving and the relationship between the siblings fall apart. I've watched this in numerous occasions. Over and over. Right. Over and over. Uh, you know, I've been around, I told you, I've been right. around a long time. I was a, a, an elder law attorney for 35 years. Yeah. You can't even imagine how many uh, terrible situations occurred between people who should really be loving them, loving each other more. Right. And all because of money, and every one of those things could have been helped. More or less everyone. I can't say everyone. Is there any reason, you know, somehow it's always a secret. You never want to tell your 10-year-old how much you earn. But at some point when your kids are adults, is there any reason to really keep the family finances a secret? Again, to the point of the more they know now, the easier it is for later. And then, you know, not that you want to, like, boast about it or you want to hide about it, but just that it's just information. I mean, I've had very open conversations with my parents. Again, my kids know the list of where the account is. The fi- you know, the minute dad and I don't show up, here's the list of who you call. Um, but is there a reason that parents shouldn't be open with their kids about their finances? Depends on the kid. I mean, look, we are fortunate people, and most of the people listening to this are fortunate people. But there are people whose children... Uh, if they know of the money, they're going to ask for the money. And so, yes, occasionally, you know, there are kids that are not part of the uh, solution, they're part of the problem. But in general, no. Uh, we're very open about it, and our kids are very open about it. And the funny part is that uh, they're open uh, to each other. In other words, I have two, two children who talk to each other about what their financial circumstances are, not just us. Right. And them. So, no, we happen to live in a, in a family where that's a very open family but, uh, and believe in it. But I can certainly see circumstances. Some folks who are listening who would say, you know, if I open up my information to, to one of my children, it could be trouble, and therefore I'm not going to open it up to any of them. Mm. 
And I could respect that. Yes. Yeah. I was more thinking about, again, from the point of view of being able to effectively plan um, and effectively, you know, prepare for, you know, future decisions. You know, you can't plan in secret. If, if you really have to do that, then make sure everything is writing and, every, and somebody knows where it is and leave it with your attorney so that there's fiduciary that, that's responsible. But, um, but yeah, you're right. It would be much, much better if you could, if you could all be open about finances. <laughs> in so many ways. All right, Adrian Berg, you are amazing. I know you've got another appointment that you're off to. Your new book, Retirement Income Explosion, is phenomenal. I read it cover to cover. And good luck with your newest adventure on Metabesity 2020. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Take care. I'm talking to Adrian Berg, author, lecturer, blogger, and pioneer in the world of longevity and aging. Adrian has been providing Bottom Lines readers with wisdom on all aspects of successful aging for many years. Retirement planning and successful aging are just two examples of what our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, is all about. And Adrian is just one of the thousands of top experts who share their expert advice with our readers on all aspects of finance and investing, living a healthy life, saving money on travel, insurance that leaves, improving relationships with family and friends, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.